Hello, and welcome to the River of Life podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join special guest Reed Uberman as he teaches from the Word of God. I need to take him to the nursery, so I'll say something really quick. But it is always a pleasure to be here. We love you, Pastor Henry. We love you very much. I'm very thankful for your church, and um, you have always welcomed us here. And most of all, I thank you for the deposits that you have put into my husband (laughs) in this church. So I know that God is doing a great thing in this church, and y'all are blessed to be a member of this church. Amen. Amen. I think... Um. I think she may be a better preacher than you. Probably. She's definitely better looking. Um, don't give him too much a round of applause as he leaves because he wrote all over my pants before, uh, before I came up here. So I know what fatherhood is like now. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I'm really excited to be here. Hopefully most of that excitement is not the smoke inhalation from fireworks yesterday. Um, it's really good to be back home. I entered... Uh, Crawfordville, Florida, and it's been a little while since I've been here, but I grew up here, um, and a bit of nostalgia um, kind of uh, hit me, as it always does when I, when I come back to this town. And I know what some of you are thinking who live here. You're thinking, how could you have nostalgia for Crawfordville, Florida? Um, but I will tell you, um, I, there isn't much that I'm nostalgic about except for this church. Um, this church made such an impact in my life and, as my wife said, really deposited so much uh, into my heart. And, and I'll just be really honest with you, if I can be honest with you. I know we're in church, we're supposed to pretend, but let me be honest just a little bit with you this morning. Um, I, I travel a lot and have been to many, many churches, and, and I, I tell the Lord, I am thankful that I got saved at River of Life. Because the reality is, is where you get saved, a lot of that is going to influence what you think about God and who Jesus is to you. And the culture in which you're saved is going to, going to impact your spiritual growth. And I go to some churches and I say, and I say, just to be honest with you, thank you God, I did not get saved at this church. Because I think my understanding of Jesus would be vastly different. I was telling Chuck on the way here, uh, or uh, right before the service, that uh, Chuck baptized me shortly after I got saved. Pastor Henry kept on saying to me, when are you going to get baptized? When are you going to get baptized? Every single Sunday. Um, and, until eventually I decided to get baptized. And uh, Chuck baptized me. And, and one of the things that I learned here at River of Life, just one of the many things, is I learned to celebrate baptism. I learned to celebrate new birth. I learned that baptism isn't just the yawning part of the service. It's, it's the part where you celebrate what God is doing in the lives of other people. This is what Jesus called us to do. Um, but I've been at churches where when they baptize people, that's their cue to leave. And they go out the back of the church and they make it to Ryan's Steakhouse, Golden Corral, or wherever you may be going that, that morning. But I got saved. Uh, I, uh, of course, I went through middle school, high school here and um, got saved. Uh, I guess I should say graduated in 2000 and lived my life like, like a regular high school student um, for the, most of the kids that are around here. And For those of you who know high school kids, that was mostly bad. Um, And then in 2001, my mom invited me to uh, come to this church. Now, I'll just have to tell you guys, I don't know what it is nowadays, but back in those days, River of Life was the crazy church. 
Um, but at that time, I was a college kid. And my mom said, I'll take you out to eat afterwards at a restaurant. So no ramen noodles, no canned food. It was like real food. So I said, all right, I'll go. So I went to church with my mom and um, noticed immediately that it was a very vastly different church than anything we'd ever been to in our life. And about a month later, when Pastor Henry Jones was preaching in Sop Choppy, Florida, um, I felt the convicting power of God on my life and was probably, I think can't remember exactly, but I think was one of the last people that day to come to the front because I was white-knuckling the pew, feeling the conviction of God and not wanting to embarrass myself and not wanting to come forward, but I just, I couldn't resist anymore because I know I needed to get saved. And I'll just tell you guys, I have to brag on this church, not because I want you to think I do that everywhere that I go, because I don't. In fact, I tell people, this is the second best church in the world, because I don't want to lie to them. This is is the first. Um, But... But I have to say, this church is very special to me, not only because I, I got saved here, but because so many great things have, have happened at this church and so, taught me so much. And, and, and my experience with other churches around the world um, and in the United States, this is a very unique church. Now, yes, I got saved here, and so obviously a little bit of that influences my understanding, but, but it is a wonderful church. So I got saved that Sunday morning as Pastor Henry Jones was preaching. A young kid, a little twerp named Tim Carey came over and prayed for me. Another guy named Bill Rollins, and I believe William. I just spoke with him in the back. I think William was there that day, and he was praying for me as well. And I felt the um, saving grace of God change my life. And um, after, directly after, I was bawling my eyes out, knew I needed to get saved, was, was just wrecking my life in sin, and bawling my eyes out. And I, the first thing that happened when I came up from the altar that morning is Pastor Henry Jones stuck a microphone in my face. It's the first time I've ever had a microphone. And he said, tell me how you feel. And of course, I just said... <laughs> and... Um, and it felt, and he said this to me, and it's exactly how it felt. He said, it feels like a ton of weight has been lifted off of you. And, and, and that's exactly how it felt, because the weight of my sin was no longer upon me. Uh, Jesus took it all. Um, and, and, and my life has been forever different. Shortly after I got called into ministry, uh, this church blessed me and sent me out um, to prepare myself in college and in practical training, not only did I school myself in um, multiple different ways, I went to three different colleges and finally got my MA in 2012 at Lee University. Um, but, but also, I was traveling actively um, on a regular basis with evangelists and ministers as they were going around the U.S. And this church helped me every single step along the way. In fact, even helped me a little bit with, with my schooling for the ministry. So I want to thank you, Henry Jones, for... Um, for being such a blessing to my life, and just for being you, um, just for leading this church with a humility and a desire, even what you did this morning. I hope you guys can appreciate it. Even just taking time in the service to just say, hey, let's stop. we got a guest speaker, but, you know, let's, let's just all come before the Lord. Let's pray and let's seek his face. Um, so this is a good church, y'all. It's a good church. With that being said, I want to jump into the message this morning, and I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. Because I believe all of those things I just said, a lot of what I'm going to say this morning may apply to the church at large. So when I say the church, I don't mean this church. I mean the church as a whole, the universal church, Christians. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. Um, 
But, so if anything, so I think to myself, well, Reed, why are you going to preach a message about the church at large when this is such a great church? If anything, let this merely serve as a, as a reminder. Of course, there may be some individuals in here who, who really need to hear this this morning, but, but, but I want you just to think about this in terms of, I want this to be the thing that not only you're doing, but the thing that you continue to do. That, that you keep on doing it. Samuel Johnson said it this way. He said um, that it's better to be reminded than to be informed. So this morning, I don't know how much great revelation I'm going to drop on you. I think there's going to be some things that you've never thought about, some things you've never heard, some things you've never studied. But more than anything, I'm okay with just coming before you, preaching my heart out and reminding you of some things that maybe you need to get back to. Or maybe some things that you really need to hold on to. So this morning, I want to start with a quote um, and it's a quote that I think is very apropos because it was said at a very early time as the 20th century was approaching. And it's from William Booth. And he said this, I consider that the chief danger of the 20th century will be that we will have religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, Politics without God and heaven without hell. Now, as you listen to those things, I don't know how it hits you, but as I was going down that list of things that William Booth, and by the way, he's the founder of the Salvation Army, I thought about each and every one of those things, and I thought to myself, I think every single one of those things has happened. So let me say this. Maybe the chief danger of the 21st century is probably that all of these things have happened. And that so much of the church is not noticed. That it's been okay with us that we've celebrated politics without God, salvation without regeneration, or maybe just the church. Maybe we've noticed and we've just lamented it, but done nothing about it. Thank God for a church that prays for our nation. And thank God for a church that isn't willing to let what's going on in our nation just pass us by. I heard somebody just recently even preaching about what's taking place in the Supreme Court. And they said, oh, we knew that was going to happen. God knew it was going to happen. And just flippantly kind of said it. And I, and I thought to myself, well, what if, what if Ezekiel or what if Jeremiah had just said, well, we knew the Babylonian invasion was going to come by. No, but we need a church and we need people to stand in the midst of a generation, in the midst of a culture that's going backwards and declare to them the way forward. Come on, do we have any people this morning who are sick and tired of the way things are and want to see God do something miraculous. Is there anybody this morning that wants to see the Bible start to become a reality in their life? That's where I am. So the first thing that William Booth said is really what I want to talk to you about because it comes not only from deeply from the Scripture, but also from my experience. Religion without the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing I want on his list, and the thing that I really want to talk to you guys about this morning. The Holy Ghost preceded the incarnation. The Holy Ghost preceded the ministry of Jesus. The Holy Ghost preceded the birth of the church. And I believe before Jesus returns, we will see one of the greatest outpourings of the Holy Spirit that the church has ever seen. Maybe I'll try to prove that to you just a little bit biblically. But I truly believe that before God ever does anything, He will send His Holy Spirit And so I pray for each and every one of us this morning and throughout our Christian lives, we will cling to the Spirit of God 
and walk in the Spirit of God. Be sensitive to the Spirit of God and abide in His presence. Will you join me in prayer? Jesus, we thank you so much for your word this morning. God, your word is anointed, but God, this, this speaker needs some help. So, Father, I pray for less of me and more of you, God. I pray that I will simply be a conduit of your glory, a conduit of your word, and that your truth will touch the hearts of people. Father, more than anything, I, I, I know, I, the one thing I'm reminded of is that preaching is not necessarily about oration, but it is about the people who are hearing, and it is about the people in the pew. So, God, I pray with all my heart that you will touch the, the hearer just as much or more than the listener. Give us, give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. Help us to apply it to our lives. May it be just more, more than mere rhetoric, more than mere words, God, but pierce our hearts with your truth. For your word was never meant to be heard and applauded. It was meant to be lived. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. What I want to talk to you today is about abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ. First, let me give you just a little bit of context as you're turning to John 15. We'll just read verses 1 through 5. What we have here, in a sense, is Jesus' last words to his disciples. This is a very long oration that takes place from chapter 14 to chapter 17 of nothing but unbroken speech. It's all red letters. So by the way, let me say this. Not all of the Bible is the word of God. You understand that, right? When it says that Jesus walked to Galilee, that's not technically the word of God. Because that's just giving you directions. That's just GPS. But when you see red letters, now that's the word of God. That's the words straight from the mouth of God. So that's why you'll have some Bibles that have red letters because they want to bring emphasis to the things that Jesus said. Because these are the words of God. So... It becomes all that much more important when we see this long block of text. Four chapters of Jesus just speaking to his disciples that we really focus in there and pay attention to what Jesus is saying. Sandwiched in the middle is John 15, 1 through 5. Up here on the screens, you'll see it in the New King James Version, but I have it here in the New American. Pretty similar. So won't you... Uh, Read in your Bible as I read out loud. Verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you... Unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now I want to bring special emphasis to the last part. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Because so often I've seen in my experience, and sometimes in the church... That we try to do a whole lot without God. In fact, Ruben Autry said this, We are too busy to pray and therefore we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversions. Much machinery and few results. 
Very often that's the case sometimes in the church. And if you look at the history of the church, it's functioned a little bit like this. The church very much was birthed by the supernatural, wasn't it? You look at Acts chapter 2 and you see what God did in the church. You know, time goes on and then uh, what happens to the church is great persecution hits it. You know, you can look at the Diocletian persecution that took place in the 200s and you can see some of the horrible things that were done to Christians. They would raise them up on stakes, they would kill them in coliseums, they would have lions eat them alive. All sorts of horrible things taking place. But the word of God powerfully moving forward. God's people doing the miraculous. Operating in a, in a, in a rich anointing from the Lord. 312 comes around. So just 300 years, a little, little less than that obviously, than after Jesus um, was crucified. 300 years later, guess what happens? Christianity is no longer persecuted. It becomes accepted in the empire of Rome. And Constantine is converted to Christianity, the Roman emperor at the time. So he no longer outlaws Christianity. In fact, he makes miraculously. And I'm not saying this sarcastically. Some of you may disagree. But I think miraculously, Christianity almost overnight becomes the religion of the empire. Can you think about this? In 325, I think it was, you have Christian men who were once persecuted now sitting around a table. As, as guests of the emperor of Rome who maybe had a hand chopped off or maybe had an eye gouged out, scarred from, from persecutions for proclaiming the faith. And now these men are celebrated, sitting around a table talking about what Orthodox Christianity looks like. All that's taking place and a short while later, from 312 to 380, do you know what happens? The church gets accepted in the Roman Empire, and then in 380, Theodosius declares that anybody who is not a Christian will be punished. And in the same way God punishes you, we will punish you. So in other words, because you're not a Christian, God's going to throw you in hell. We're going to kill you physically. Just in the same way God punishes you, we're going to punish you for not believing in Christianity. What happened? In that short amount of time where Christianity is moving and, and rising and gaining power and gaining strength and then becomes the, the religion of the Roman Empire. And then a short time later, they stay in power for a little bit and they totally miss it. Tell me Jesus is pleased when the leader of the state declares, if you're not a Christian, I'm going to kill you. Where, where in the Bible is that one? How did they miss it so much? They started well, but they didn't finish well. They started with the Spirit, but it doesn't seem that they ended very well with the Spirit. And so my purpose in speaking to you today is, is I pray that, that that won't be who we are. That that won't be who I am. After, after years of being in church and years of ministering and years of preaching, and maybe I'm just preaching to myself, so I'm going to sit back there and just amen myself if I have to. But it's so easy. Maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you haven't been a Christian quite long enough. But it's so easy for us to miss what it's really all about. Going through the motions of preaching sermons and just drumming up some old sermon that I prepared in the past and then preaching it for people just because they shouted the last time I preached it rather than, God, what do you want me to speak? What do you want me to say today? Really abiding in Christ. Really walking in the Spirit. That's what God wants for us. So this is my prayer. 
The church began in a prayer room, and I pray that it will not end in a boardroom. The church is a living organism and not just an organization. The church is inspired by the Spirit and not the institution that it serves. We ourselves were birthed into the kingdom by a sovereign, powerful act of God. And may it be that we don't just start there, but that's the way we end our life. So let me answer just a couple of questions before I really try to kind of explain what it truly means to abide in Christ. Especially now that Christ is no longer on the earth. You're thinking to yourself, right? Well, Jesus was talking to a bunch of disciples who walked with Jesus. Well, now how does that work now that we're in the time where the Holy Spirit's been given to the church? Well, I want to try to explain a little bit if I can. But let me just answer some questions. Doesn't it say abide in Christ, not in the Spirit? Now, hopefully I don't have to answer this very much. So you guys kind of, kind of pick it up. Let me first say that abiding means to live. Or, to the, or, or it's the act of living in, to remain in something, to live in something. That's what it means to abide, to live in. So, of course, the question comes, now that Jesus is no longer here, how do we live in Christ and abide in Christ? Well, the good news here is that Jesus now lives in us through the Holy Spirit. And hopefully that's not too much of a stretch for you guys, because the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. There is not another spirit. There is only one spirit. It is God, the Holy Spirit. And he now dwells with us. And I got to tell you something. I've heard people say, man, I wish I lived during the time when Jesus was walking around and Jesus was teaching and Jesus was talking. I I wish I lived during that time. And I think to myself, no, you don't. Because you would wear a toga and sandals everywhere and no air conditioning. We live in a greater time, I think, because Jesus was outside of the disciples back then. Guess where he is now? You can't go to Walmart without Jesus, guys. He's there because he dwells within the church. So to abide in Christ is to live in the Spirit, to dwell in the presence of God. And maybe you have another question. You say, well, doesn't verse 10 tell us what it truly means to abide in the Spirit? You can look at verse 10. Basically, Jesus says, if you, if you want to abide in me, you obey my commands. And then he'll tell us twice, what my command is, is that you love one another. He said, well, Reed, why aren't you preaching about that this morning? Isn't in context that what, what you should be preaching about? Well, I just want to say this to you. I think that is a way that you abide in Christ, by obeying his commands. And certainly, when you obey his commands, you're abiding in Christ. But why are you abiding in Christ when you obey his commands? Well, I think you have to look at the whole context and not just the context of chapter 15, but the whole context of 14 through 17. And you'll see that between Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit and God sending the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, the helper. By the way, in some versions it says the comforter. And you think to yourself, well, the Holy Spirit is this nice, warm, fuzzy blanket. It's a comforter. Sure, the Holy Spirit will bring you comfort, but the real, the better translation is the, is the helper. Because parakletos means the one who walks beside you. The one who comes alongside of you and helps you with whatever you're dealing with in life. That's what the Holy Spirit is. 
So you look at the context, and the context is the Holy Spirit coming and teaching you the things that, that Jesus taught and reminding you of all the things that Jesus taught. So how can we even truly abide in the Word of God to abide in Christ except the Holy Spirit is abiding in us, declaring the Word? So you need the Spirit to dwell in the Word. And you say, well, why is that important? Let me tell you why it's important. Because now we presently live in an age where people want to try to separate the Word of God from the person of God. Come on, that, that's deeper than you think. Some of you are just like, okay, when's lunch? They, they want to try to separate their faith from theology, and you can't. And what I mean by that is this, is that Jesus didn't come to just improve your life. Jesus didn't come just to improve your behavior, to teach you some nice things. Jesus came to change your very nature, to change your life, to change who you are, to change the way you think, to change the way you talk, to change everything, and to walk alongside of you. So if you get the impression that all I have to do is obey the commands of God, and that makes me a Christian abiding in Christ, that's wrong. Gandhi said it this way. He said, I don't even care if Jesus was a real person. What he spoke on the Sermon of the Mount means just as much to me. Gandhi never professed to be a Christian, but the problem with that statement is there's some Christians who think that. I'll just come to church, listen to a couple of good little sayings, and then leave just the way I came. And I'll try to be a little bit better. Folks, there's no way. There's only one way. And it's Jesus. When you abide in Christ, when you abide in the presence and the Spirit of God, He gives you the power to live the life that He's calling you to live. Well, i got to move on. So maybe you have another question. Is it possible not to abide in Christ? Now, I think this is a good question. It's like, Jesus is everywhere, right? God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. The Bible even says, I can make my bed in Sheol, and you are there. Right? God's omnipresent. But your pastor even quoted the scripture. There's something called the eminence of God, which means God can be everywhere, but he can also be somewhere specifically. In other words, heaven can meet earth. In other words, there can be a supernatural encounter with the divine presence of God, even though he's everywhere, and you may be able to see him in creation when you go out in the forest, you can also come into this church and you can hear God personally, and he can touch your life and change you forever. So God is not just everywhere, but he's also in particular places at particular times. Your pastor said, there I am in the midst of you, whenever two or three are gathered in my name. Well, he was already there to begin with because he's omnipresent. But guess what? When spirit-filled believers come together to pray, there's a special grace and a special presence of God that comes upon the church. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. Solomon asked the question when he built the temple. He said, God, the, the, the heaven cannot contain you. In the heavens, heavens cannot contain you. How will you be in this little temple that we've built for you? It's a great question. We just built this little small building, but you're everywhere and you're bigger than this building. How are you going to come here? And he continues to pray the prayer and nonetheless ask God to bless that place to be a place where people meet God. And it was. It was a place where people encountered the divine presence of God. So is it possible not to abide in Christ? Yes. It's possible to just be in the omnipresence of God, but not in the, the eminence of God, in, in, the, in, the, in the real anointing, in, in the real thick glory of his presence. Let me give you a for instance. 
try to make this as quick as possible because I, I, I don't want to drum down too many details, but hopefully you guys know this as well. When the tabernacle or when the temple was built, there was different stations. There was a brazen altar, and that's where they would sacrifice stuff. And the, the priest would get blood all over him from the sacrifice of animals. And then they would proceed to an, another station called the brass laver. And this is still outside of the, the holy place, the most holy place. They, they would wash themselves and cleanse themselves from the sacrifice. And then the high priest would walk into the holy place where there would be three more stations. There would be a candelabra, which you guys know as a menorah. And then there would be an altar of incense. And then there would be a table of showbread. And then there would be this great big veil, they called it, that, that guarded the way or divided the way from that, that holy place to the most holy place, the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And you guys know what the Ark of the Covenant is because you've seen Indiana Jones and you've seen Nazis' faces melt off. It's that big gold box. At least you know if you encounter it in life, not to open it. Well, during the time of Eli, the ministry of Eli, the Bible says before the candle went out that, that Samuel was sleeping in the holy place. He was right there next to the Ark of the Covenant laying his head down. Man, that's a good place to sleep. That's in the glory of God. And it said that, that Eli during that time, his eyes had grown dim. And, and the word of the Lord was, was rare in those days. So you know what that tells me? It tells me that Samuel was taking over for Eli and going into the holy place. He was going into the place where, where, where the glory of God dwells, but Eli could no longer do it anymore. It also says that God spoke to Samuel, not to Eli. Right? I don't know what you're thinking. Well, maybe God just wanted to speak to Samuel and not to Eli that day. Well, the problem with that is this, is that when God speaks to Samuel, guess what he does? He rebukes Eli and says his ministry's over. So God didn't want to speak to Eli that day. He wanted to speak to Samuel as a little boy who had never even heard the word of the Lord before. So, so where am I going with this? This man who declared himself to be a priest was no longer going in to the Holy of Holies. He had the robe. He had the Bible. He had all the right words. But he was no longer experiencing the presence of God. So much to the point that God had to rebuke him. In fact, he might have been able to go to the outer courts or the inner courts. And maybe he even went to the, to the sacrificial altar. The brazen altar. And maybe he went to the brass laver. All those things are symbolic of things that we experience in the Christian faith. You have the sacrifice of Jesus at the altar. You can't enter into the temple without the sacrifice first. You have to have the sacrifice of Jesus. The blood of Christ has to be sprinkled on your life. You go, you, you go beyond there, and then, and then you, you, not only have you been bought by the blood of the Lamb, but now God is sanctifying you and cleansing you at the brass laver. And so you're washing yourself from the blood of your atoned sin offering. All those things are very symbolic. I find that it's very easy for us to take the short road. We can go believe in Jesus. We can even want to better our lives so that we're no longer living in sin and doing the things that are destructive for our lives. I mean, who doesn't want that? Those things put you in jail. So you can do those things that, that better your lives, but, but now going into the place where you have to go to the table of showbread and you've got to burn incense and you've and you got to experience the weight of God's presence... Well, we'll just leave that to the priest. 
in the ministry of Eli, it was happening. So yes, is it possible not to abide in Christ? Yes. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? Finally get to it. Let me tell you that it does, it's not goosebumps. It's not goofiness. When I'm talking about really dwelling in the presence of God, I'm not talking about being disorderly in the church. I'm not talking about volume level. I'm not talking about church attendance. Well, I went to church today. I was in the presence of God. No, 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 no. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. That's omnipresence. God wants to be imminent. God wants to speak to you. God wants to deal with your heart. He wants to do it this morning. Some of you have never experienced the Holy Ghost. He wants you to know it. He wants to change your life. Some of you feel like you're going through a dry season. Now, sometimes that happens because God sends you through dry seasons. But some of you are doing it because you're far from where you once were. And God's calling you back this morning. So it's not goosebumps, it's not goofiness, it's not volume, it's not church attendance. More than anything this morning, I don't want to be prescriptive, so I'm going to back off a little bit. I don't want to tell you what it truly means to abide in Christ. Because listen, somebody can come to me and say, Reed, well, I just feel the presence of God while I'm listening to Light Rock. Okay, brother. Some of you can say, well, I just feel the presence of God when I go fishing, and now I'm stepping on some idols, so I'll stop right there. But really, what I, what I want to do this morning, more than anything, is not tell you what it means to abide in Christ. I, th- I could do that. I could give you some things, really prescriptive measures to go abide in Christ. But I think that would almost defeat the purpose. What I would rather do is ask the question, are you abiding in Christ? If you look down deep within your life and you do what the great philosopher long ago said, the unexamined life is not worth living. If you examine your life this morning, can you say of yourself that you're truly abiding in Christ? Can you say that of yourself? So let me just say, since I'm not going to be too specific with a prescriptive method of how to abide in Christ, let me tell you what it looks like when you abide in Christ. Real quickly. When you abide in Christ, you get to hear things that you wouldn't normally hear. See, Jesus called his disciples to pray in the garden, and they fell asleep. But guess what happened when Jesus was praying? Jesus was agonizing. Drops of sweat like blood were coming down from his forehead, and he was crying out with all of his heart. And in fact, in Luke, it's not in all manuscripts, but in Luke it even says an angel came down. Now just think if Peter and the boys had been awake, and they had heard all of that taking place. Now, I know what you're thinking. There's a lot of times in the Bible where these boys are just slow. They just don't get it. I mean, Jesus had already told them, I'm going to be taken away by the Gentiles. They're going to hand me over and I'll be crucified. He's already told them, so I don't know if it would have helped, but I just can't help but wonder. Right before they were going to arrest him and right before they were going to take him to the cross and right before he was going to have nails driven into his hands and his feet, Jesus was crying out to the Father. How differently would Peter's story have looked if he had heard what Jesus was praying. When you abide in Christ and you're not sleeping, you hear things that you wouldn't normally hear. This is a personal one, so you just have to indulge me a little bit. When you're abiding in Christ, it takes care of some of the problems you have in the church. 
Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira are lying about their tithes. And so, Peter says, you haven't lied to me, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. Of course, Peter, the man of God, is dwelling in the presence of God. And, and right there, boom, they die on the spot. Could you imagine what Sunday morning would look like next Sunday? You'd be like, dear Jesus, yeah, just take it all. It's fine, yeah. It's God's anyway. Yep. Woo! No, I guarantee you, after a service like that, man doesn't go home that night and think to himself, now, should I cheat on my wife or gossip about the pastor? When the presence of God is dwelling in what you're doing, it'll take care of some problems. Abiding in Christ helps you lead the next generation. I love this story. Uh, Joshua and Moses are in the presence of God while ceremonially, spiritually dead Israel is just worshiping, worshiping outside of their tent. If the presence of God is not what you're in what you're doing, by the way, worship won't help you. It's just ceremonial and, and it's dead. So they're worshiping God while Moses and Joshua are actually the only ones in the presence of God. It says that Moses left the tent that day, but what did, what did Joshua do? It says that he remained. This is Exodus 33. That he remained in the tent that day. Moses had things to do, but Joshua stayed. Now, I can tell you from experience, I've had some great men of God so in my life. Your pastor is one of them. But the thing that has prepared me for ministry more than anything else is remaining in the presence of God. A prayer life where I can meet with God and talk to God, and God talks to me. See, Moses had to go about his business and do what he did. And and I know Joshua appreciated Moses, the man of God. Loved hearing him preach. Loved hearing him talk. Loved seeing how he dealt with different situations. But I guarantee you, if we could ask Joshua today, the thing that he would say that prepared him for leading the next generation was time in the tent of God's dwelling place. Abiding in Christ grants you power. In Matthew 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to build my church on this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In Matthew 17, Jesus takes them up to the mountain of transfiguration. They see Jesus wider than he's ever been before. Just glory shining everywhere. They hear an audible voice of God saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Doesn't take them long. To not do that. They walk down the mountain and then they go into the city. Spend some time there. Jesus goes his own way, maybe to pray. We are not told. But goes his own way. And then, and then they find a boy that's demon possessed. And the, and, the, and the father brings him to the disciples. And they say, we know this Jesus. We know you, you guys operate in a special power. Would you please deliver this little boy from demons? This is my baby boy. Please help me. And Peter says, well, absolutely, we'll help you. Let me just figure out what kind of demon this boy has. That's a lion spirit in him. All right, come out of him, you lion spirit. No, Peter's the strong one. So he sounds like a Tennessee preacher. Come out of him, you devil. And he tries and tries and tries and can't get the demon out of him. And John says, come on, let let me try. And John says, now, I'm just going to love you into the kingdom, dear little boy. I just, I want you to know Jesus loves you. I was leaning on his chest one day, and I just felt his heartbeat. His heart is for you. He loves you. And the demon doesn't come out. 
And one after the other tries to cast the demon out. Nobody can cast the demon out. And finally, the father, frustrated, goes to Jesus and says, Hey, would you, would you please cast this demon out of my boy? I brought him to your disciples, but he couldn't do it. And Jesus says, Oh, God. Finally comes over and says, Get out of the way, guys, and cast the demon out of the little boy. They come to Jesus and they say, Why couldn't we do it, Jesus? Why, what's wrong? And they say, Well, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting because of your lack of faith. You couldn't do it. In other words, this is what I think Jesus is saying. You saw me up there on the mountain and I already told you how powerful the church would be. But you thought that you could now go down into the city, into the valley, and operate without my presence and think that you could still cast out demons. Because praying and fasting, what? Are really just mediums to be close to God, to abide in Christ. So what he's saying is is you're not abiding in me and you think you're going to have power. But by the grace of God, that will not be the verdict of this church and the church of Jesus Christ at large. And when he returns, he's coming for a powerful church. He's coming for a church that's abiding in him. He's coming for a church that's hearing the word of God. He's coming for a church that when you walk down the aisle of Walmart, you can hear God say, go pray for that person because they need He's coming back for a church that's sensitive to the Holy Ghost. He's coming back for a church that is not trying to do things without Him. Because you will bear no fruit otherwise. What about you guys? But I am tired of fruitless Christianity. I'm tired of going through the motions. I want Him. So you can listen to your light rock and you can experience God while you're fishing. But I want to ask you the question. Is He speaking to you? Is he ministering to your heart? Are you hearing revelations that you can only hear when you get close enough to hear God whisper? Sometimes God speaks in a small voice and you've got to be close enough to listen. Are you operating in power? When people need deliverance, are you like those disciples and you can't offer them anything because there's no fruit in your life? Or are you abiding so much in Christ that you, that you can just pick fruit off and you can hand it to anybody that needs help? Are you sowing into the next generation? Are you, are, you, are you really fired up about leading in the next generation? Or are you just ready to retire? Because God is empowering His church to be strong. Now, I, I went a little over and I want to be quiet now. But the last thing I want to say is this. Is that for the divine presence to abide, we need to start building an altar if we're really going to be in God's presence, if we're really going to bear fruit in our lives as Christians, which we desperately need, especially now with everything that's happening in our nation, the church needs to be more alive than it has ever been before. And I believe God's about to start doing something in the church. And I pray River of Life will be one of the epicenters of revival for our nation. But if it's ever going to happen... We've got to build an altar. I don't have time to talk about it this morning, but you go through the Bible and you see the times that God's fire descended upon the earth. Fire fell from heaven. And you look and see how many times an altar preceded the fire falling from heaven and consuming the altar. 1 Kings 18, Leviticus 9, Judges 6, 1 Chronicles 21, 26. If we're going to see the fire of God in our midst and see the fire of God in our lives, we're going to have to build an altar first. A place in His presence. A place daily where we can meet with Him. A place to hear His voice. Musicians, you guys can come up.
and we say God is in control, what just happened in our nation should help us to see that God has called us through the power of the Spirit to take a stand. God has placed power in our hands, and now I ask you, church, what will be your response? As we come to a time of altar this morning, I just want to encourage you. If you are walking through a dry place and you need to see the fire of God in your life, this is a time for you. If you are not saved, God wants to set you free. And he wants you to get right with him. And he doesn't want to just dose you with enough of religion, a mild form of Christianity, to just come to church on Sunday. He wants to fill you with his presence. Pastor Henry. Thank you again for listening to River of Life Podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for more information and directions.